host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, AJ Hayfley. AJ, what's going on, man? How are you, sir? Good. We, uh, we're recording this. It's a Sunday evening here in Vancouver. We're doing a, a bonus podcast. We're going to run this as a separate show. Um, we're going to run the usual programming of like ones that double as radio shows for the PDO cast purposes. But this one's going to go on the feed. We're going to talk about the trade on Saturday afternoon, or I guess Saturday morning, um, involving the abs. And we're going to kind of deep dive that and, and discuss it. It's not necessarily a blockbuster by any means, but we've been waiting for a while now for for the offseason to really start in full force. And this one feels like it kicked it off, right? We saw the Sean Dersey trade afterwards. There's been a lot of speculation about the Flyers making that mega trade with the Blues, and that's on hold for now. But the Avs, the Avs kicked it off, and hopefully we'll get a bit of a domino effect here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. We had talked on uh, uh, on my show about the Avs needing to get a start on the center market mm. so that they could kind of have their pick and try and keep the price down versus a couple years ago when they needed a goaltender and they kind of played chicken with the goalie market and ended up having to give up a first round pick and Connor Timmons for Darcy Kemper. Right. And I think that this them getting out ahead of the market is the lesson that they learned from that experience where they said, sure, we have lots of options, but lots of options means lower prices. And I think we saw that play out precisely in this situation. It did. And getting the predators obviously to retain fifty percent of it, so they're essentially playing $4 million for each of the next two seasons for Ryan Johansson's age 31 and 32 seasons is very reasonable, right? There was no acquisition cost to to facilitate it. If it was a free agent signing, everyone would be like, all right, that's, that's pretty sensible. Um, I guess my question for you here is initially I was a bit disappointed because I'm planning this mega show with Thomas Drance uh, where we're going to like pitch each other on trades. We want to see this off season. And I had this like litany of trades involving Elias Lindholm and Mark Shifley and all over the place trying to get a second line center to Colorado. And then, so when I saw this one, I, I have to admit, I was a bit disappointed just because I had to cross off a lot of those, but I guess, you know, we can talk more about this later on. Like we're going to talk about Johansson himself here first, but do you feel like this trade actually satisfies that need, right? Because he's going to be positioned certainly as the as filling the hole a second line center with JT Confer leaving in free agency. But I don't necessarily, the more I think about it, I don't necessarily think this automatically crosses them off the list of getting creative to add another center who could potentially bump Johansson down even further down the pecking order. So to answer your question, I'll say I think it satisfies it for now. Yeah. And I think that we're going to see 60 games of it. And what the because because it costs them the abs are very limited in assets that they can give up and because this trade cost them none of those assets they are still in the position where they've got just enough in the in the cupboard here that they could go and get aggressive right but i think they're going to see how johansson does as 2c first but it does keep the door open for hey they get to the deadline the flames are out of it they're going to they're going to lose backland they're going to lose lindholm you know if shifley hasn't moved by then you know whatever whatever the center market develops into by then uh you know maybe we revisit the adam henrique conversation again mm. whatever whatever it develops into by that point 
they will still have the bullets in the gun, you know, depending on what happens the next week, of course. But as of right now, when we're talking about it, they'll still they'll still have the ammunition that they that they would need in order to go and do something like that at the deadline, uh, and to to make Johansson the three C or to even include him in the deal and move him on. Um, as as part of a return for uh, an upgrade at two C, so uh, that that is one of the the things about the deal that I think makes a lot of sense. Is for the moment, yeah, I think they're good because they can then turn around and spend Landeskog's money filling in the wings around him. Mm-hmm. But it also does not preclude because they gave up zero assets in the deal. It does not. It, it does not keep them out of the market for one of those guys during the season. Well, they obviously had a desperate need to add scoring weapons in some form up front, right? The last time we saw this team play, they were finishing off a playoff series against the Kraken. Sorry to remind you of this, where they mustered three five on five goals in 210 minutes without Nathan McKinnon on the ice in those seven games. And so that was obviously going to be the focus ideally down the middle as well, heading into this, this off season. And, you know, whenever you have McKinnon and McCarr playing at the level they are, I view it as you have to go for it, right? Like you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your franchise and your organization to take as many swings and as aggressively as you can doing so and not taking any of it for granted. And so, you know, this brings up the conversation of kind of being the last year of Devon Taves on the sweetheart $4.1 million deal, what you do with that, the 7 million, as you referenced that uh, Landis Cogs injury opens up. And so I don't know, let, let, let's talk about, Ryan Johansson and kind of his strengths and weaknesses. You wrote up an accompanying piece kind of looking at that, the fit here. I think it's an interesting one because he's clearly, especially at this point of his career, not necessarily a one-dimensional player, but like a flawed one in the sense that I think he needs to be in the right position to succeed or get the most out of his skills and sort of um, hide or mask the weaknesses he has as a player. And I guess the Avalanche are, are the more I think about it, pretty well positioned to do so, right? I think they have the personnel to put him in some different combinations, whether you want to play him uh, with Miko Rantanen and have him distribute to him or whether you want to play him with some of their more kind of puck hunting wingers. They have many chess pieces that they can move around to get the most out of Johansson. So I do think like stylistically, it actually makes quite a bit of sense. Yeah, it's... uh... When when the deal was first announced, um, just given Elias Lindholm, Pierre Luc Dubois, Mark Shifley, you know uh, some of the guys, some of the guys you could talk yourself into being in the market or the talk yourself into the abs being uh, into, it kind of felt like walking into a steakhouse and being being told, "Hey, you're on a diet. You're allowed to eat the Caesar salad and watch everybody else, you know, go crazy and get whatever they want." That's kind of what it felt like when the deal was announced. And the more the more that I looked at it, the more that I started trying to play with the different accommodations and put myself in Jared Bednar's shoes on opening night. You know, they don't have a sixth uh, top six forward right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, assuming Alex Newhook's not going to be that guy right now. Um, so we there, there's still work to do over the next week of who they bring in to be that sixth forward in their top six. But you mentioned... You know, putting him next to Miko Ranton in it. JT Confer is about to get paid. Like he's about to get paid. It might even be by Colorado, to be honest. Regrettably so, I think. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I can tell you right now I'm gonna dislike whatever contract JT Confer winds up signing for. 
I'll tell you this. I'm gonna I'm gonna like it for him. I will be oh, happy for the man. Absolutely. Wins the Stanley Cup, cash in. This is the right time, right? He's, <laughs> he's going to be 28 years old. Like, this is the time if you're JT Comfort to cash in. Yep. So, no, I'm not begrudging him by any means. I just think that, you know, and it seems like it probably will be the Blackhawks. And on a scale of, of, of regret, it's going to be low for them because they just have this runway here to just spend as much money freely as they want for the next couple of years. So, it's fine. But especially if it comes attached with a term, taking him into his 30s, I, I, I will dislike it quite a bit. Yeah, and that's where um, I and and again, uh, this could even be a Colorado deal. They, uh, I know that they've stayed in touch with him, uh, and that the Johansson uh, deal is cheap enough that they they are going to stay in contact. And there's there's a door open for him to come back if he is willing to leave a little bit on the table. Um, I think I think that uh, the Evs might give him say a sixth year something like that in order to get him to come back. But I think most likely you're right. I think he's probably, I've been saying for all year, he's going to land in Chicago. It's just too easy. It's too obvious. Right. But my point is, is that that guy just had a career year. His most common line mate was Miko Rantanen. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Let's be real here. He's playing on that top unit next to Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen and Kale McCarr. It's good living, man. It's good living. And that job now goes to Ryan Johansson because the abs have a dearth of right-handed forwards uh, between Johansson's ability to win faceoffs, which is something that the Avs were not very good at and asked JT Comfort to do the majority of last year, even though he was under 50%. Johansson's much better at that. He's also right-handed. He's going to take Comfort's spot either next to Val Nachushkin or next to Miko Rantanen, maybe next to both. And he's going to be on that top power play. You put him there and you say, okay, He's, I think he's a more naturally gifted offensive player than JT Comfer is. Comfer finished last year with 52 points. I don't feel like assuming good health, because this is a this is a big thing for both the Avalanche and Johansson. Mm-hmm. Assuming good health, I think Johansson's golden in terms of asking him to get a put up a 50 point season in Colorado next year. If you're trying to get him much beyond that if you're going to try and get him into 60 70 i think you're probably talking best case scenario everything went right but i do think that a 50 point season's completely reasonable it is i mean if you look at Corey schneider's tracking and, and his data that he has on johansson it's not very flattering the two categories that pop off the page that are good are passing categories right he's in the 83rd percentile in both primary shot assists and in zone shot assists and so the idea of having those assists going to Miko Rantanen with his shooting talent and especially what he showed this past season as a trigger man that is obviously highly enticing right I actually think though that Jared Bednar I think he's I think Jared Bednar knowing him he's going to be frustrated with Ryan Johansson uh because of his some of his deficiencies in terms of how hot or unhot his uh, his motor runs for large majorities of the game. And so in that case, I do think they will experiment with putting him with either a Val Nachushkin or Arturi Lekkanen on one of his flanks because what those guys do really well compensates for a lot of his deficiencies, right? They're going to go out, they're going to disrupt, they're going to retrieve the puck, they're going to forecheck. And so all of a sudden, if you have Johansson kind of like straggling back high in the zone, on those four check sequences, all of a sudden puck comes to him. You turn some of those turnovers into quick chances. All of a sudden the vision starts to make sense. Yeah, I definitely, uh, if I'm penciling in the opening night lineup, I have Nachushkin, Johansson and Ranton in together with Luckett and McKinnon. And then the question mark of TBD there. 
Yeah. Um, because I just think with Lekkonen, Lekkonen has been an unbelievably good fit next to McKinnon. What he does well um, just vibes with what McKinnon kind of needs alongside him. And we saw a great deal of success when Evan Rodriguez played that job, uh, played in that role last year. Look, no offense to Evan Rodriguez. He's a, he's a quality player, and I think he's probably also about to get paid. But if Evan Rodriguez can fit into that role, you can certainly find a dynamic wing to go play next to a Nathan McKinnon and maybe get a 40 or 50 point season out of that guy that you otherwise would not be able to, you know, I'm, I'm even swinging for the fences and saying, give a million dollars, a million and a half dollars to Danton Heinen and see what he does next to that guy. You know, with Arturi Lekkinen doing all the dirty work, you might be able to get great value out of something like that. And that's where, that's where I think Colorado has the advantage where the Rijo deal makes a lot of sense for the avalanches, just that, uh, it it opens up the possibility that they're going to be able to get really good value around those spots. Yeah, well, and positioning yourself as being the landing spot for those fringe tweener middle six wingers to come in on a one-year deal, put up points, look good, and then wind up turning it into a, a payday is is a pretty smart position for the Avs to, to put themselves given in the, the cornerstones that they have. You know, Jack Hahn had a really interesting piece on, on his substack about Johansson kind of looking at some of the video to explain why um, some of his underlying numbers look so poor and why he struggles in transition and such, right? Because you'd think like he's such a, he's so gifted with a puck on a stick that he would be able to sort of maneuver in the neutral zone, even though he's not necessarily fleet of foot, make people miss, get the puck into the zone. And he really struggles in terms of like his, as, as Jack highlights uh, more eloquently than I can, his like, he struggles with, how he like exposes the puck and defenders can just take it so cleanly from him. And he doesn't necessarily like to like, he's not involved in the defensive zone at all in terms of um, taking the puck from one zone to the other on the topic of how the abs are positioned to, to cover for that, not only the wingers, but based on the way they use their defensemen. Right. And we'll see what other moves come, what the Byram contract looks like, whether Sam Gerard is dangled in some sort of a company trade or whether he's back as well, regardless they have the horses on the blue line to do a lot of that puck transport and activation themselves. And so I imagine regardless of who he plays with up front, they'll be pretty smart to like not really ask Johansson to do any of that stuff that he struggles at. Right. And they actually have the players to do so. Whereas in the past couple of years, Nashville, for the most part, if Roman Yossi wasn't out there, didn't necessarily have the guys that could do that. It's, it's true. And honestly, we saw kind of a, a really downgraded version of this with Lars Eller in this brief Colorado tenure where that's Lars Eller's never really been a very, um, very like high end transition guy. And you saw his offense, uh, and the way that he played really kind of popped when in the very few games where he got to play the role that he was brought into play as more of a depth guy and just lean into how Colorado wants to play a guy who's not very natural in transition, but watched his wings, you know, watched the speed around him with Cogliano and Logan O'Connor and Colorado's defense transporting pucks up the ice. He didn't have to do any of that. And so he didn't look like a misfit. He got to just go in, win puck battles along the wall and work. If, if you take what they got out of Lars Eller and, you put him in Ryan Johansson's body. It's not. It's not hard to see at all exactly what you're talking about. Uh, in the in the way that he's going to be, he's going to have pathways to success because his weaknesses are covered by the guys who are going to be employed around him. Well, one thing that I think stylistically is appealing about this fit for the Abs is 
you know, for better or for worse, so much of their offense has been concentrated like high in the offensive zone, right? We think of whether it's Makar kind of walking the line and then making someone miss and then getting to the middle and shooting, or obviously, you know, that high three, two where McKinnon works his way up and then, and then he funnels shots from there. If you look at their like shot chart and heat maps, so much of their offense in zone at five on five comes from high in the zone and something Johansson has been really good at is making plays down low, whether it's getting to the net himself or whether it's sort of, you know, down low in the cycle game, beating his defender one-on-one, attracting attention, and then distributing it to someone else for an open shot. And so in this case, I actually do think it kind of helps move them in the right direction to diversifying their offensive attack a little bit because as sort of high octane as it can be when it's fully fully functional and everyone's healthy and it's flowing, um, at times, especially last year, we saw it, it can kind of become not predictable because like you can still know what Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr are going to do, but good luck stopping it. But at least it gives you different avenues to beat opposing defenses rather than just like one one area of the ice, and that's about it. Yeah, uh, his size, you know, the lot the lack of game land last year, and the in and out nature of Val Nachushkin in the lineup, uh, and then obviously uh, him leaving the team in in the playoff series. You want to talk about your talk? You talked about five on five goals with without Nathan McKinnon on the ice. That's where they struggled. Was that they did not have they did they just couldn't score an easy goal. They couldn't score a rebound goal. They couldn't score a garbage goal. They had to work too hard for everything. They had to get lucky. Something just fortunate had to take place. Right. And where they really missed Gabe Landeskog was having a guy with a big butt. He'll put it right in the goalie's face and he'll just outwork and out out muscle somebody in front of the net. You know, and this is where uh, I do I do want to go back to your point that Johansson's going to drive Jared Bednar crazy because mm-hmm. he's going to be a passenger on some nights and it's going to, it's Bednar's just going to be very frustrated by that. The other guy that I think is going to get frustrated by that is Nathan McKinnon. And I'm, I'm curious to see how that relationship evolves and to see the impact. Does that give Ryan Johansson that little extra gear? Does it does it kick him into a gear that nobody's ever really been able to get out of him before? Or is he just is who he is and the abs are just gonna have to deal with the maddening inconsistency of his effort, which which can wax and wane like a cycle of the moon. You know, uh so I do think that there's there's that concern. But in terms of him being able to just stand in front of the net and pick up rebounds, tip pucks in, uh find a rebound and then make a, a slick pass to a guy that's open on the back door. Those are all things that he's going to bring that the Avs just didn't have last year. And that was largely because no game Landeskog. So as much as this is a, uh, a deal for a guy that can replace JT Comfer as the two C it's also a pseudo deal to replace some of the elements that they've been missing with no Landeskog and who they obviously will not have next season as well. And so this is it's a it's a double dip and again no assets 4 million I think it's going to be overall a positive fit I'm tempering expectations I'm saying 50 points but uh, knowing the way that the guys have come into Colorado and just seen things change for them you know you've had a track record you know 
Jonas Donskoy, Nazem Kadri, Andre Burakovsky, even even guys like Nicholas Ave Kubel, uh, Dennis Morgan last year. They get into Colorado's system, they find a comfort zone, and they produce in a way that they don't anywhere else in the league. And you're you'll I I think that there's a fair reason to believe that you'll see the same thing out of Ryan Johansson, where if he puts up a 65 or 70 point season, again, everything went their way. But I also don't think that it's out of the realm of a high end realistic end game possibility. I I agree with you from a productivity and production perspective, from an aesthetic perspective of how it looks and whether it looks different than it has previously and whether it drives Nathan McKinnon and Jared Bednar crazy. I I don't know about that, not only because he's going to be 31 or whatever and probably is who he is at this point of his career, but also even when he was younger and you know more mobile and more involved. Because of like the his frame and kind of how wiry he is at times, it looks like he's not really trying and putting in max effort, even though he's probably doing everything he can to his max capability, right? And so it's just gonna it's gonna bug them regardless of of how productive it is, and that's fine. Yep. Uh, but you know what? Anyone you bring in is probably gonna bug Nathan McKinnon. So as long as he's producing, it's okay. I'm not I'm not that worried about that. The only two guys that have ever that the the Avs have ever brought in that Nathan McKinnon has never been bothered by our Tori Lekkinen and Andrew Cogliano. Yeah. Nary a bad word. Yeah. Well, I I mean, our Tori Lekkinen has certainly never bothered me either. What a what a player. Um, You know, do you want to talk about this quickly? I have a couple trades that I think would make sense as follow-ups to this. I kind of want to just save them for that show that I mentioned that I'm going to do with Drance because I want to I want to pitch him fresh. I don't want to double dip sure. for the PDOcast listeners. But I, you already know them. You You had some – you liked one of them. You push back on another one of them. Um, we'll deal with that later. Do you want to talk about this quickly from the Predators' perspective? Just because I think it is interesting that they wanted to get off of this contract, right? Like it makes sense regardless of what their direction is just because they're like, you know what? It's time to move on. We save our ownership, whatever, $8 million over the next two seasons. We clear some cap space. Now, if they're going to be purely a rebuilding team that's going to entertain a UC Soros trade at some point and actually keep, you know, selling off players for future picks and finally essentially rebuilding properly for the first time in franchise history. Almost it feels like um, it, that cap space is kind of a moot point or not necessarily that relevant because they already have so much of it to begin with. Mm-hmm. So that makes me think that there probably is at least one or two kind of trickle down moves for them as well. That might not necessarily be kind of win now moves, but are going to be, all right, let's go out and acquire players that cost a lot, right? Like it, it feels like that's kind of part of the logic for this beyond just kind of moving on from a player that you were done with in, in their case. Yeah, I mean, the, I think for me, the first thing I thought about was Eric Carlson, where, hey, you're easy. it's easier to absorb $10 million when you have $19 million of space, right? And they don't have, uh, they don't have a ton of money on their books, moving forward, uh, like high-end money on their books moving forward. And so I, I wondered if Barry Trotz was like, hey, we're gonna go, we're gonna go and get another high-end puck mover and we're gonna have Roman Yossi and Eric Carlson and we're gonna lean into the modern day game of let's transport pucks and then I will get I will get the guys. I you know I'll I'll sign a Scott Mayfield along the way to to try and lock it down next to Yossi and uh, you know kind kind of go from there. Like I that's kind of what I wondered is Maybe instead of going the re- the proper rebuild route, that they try to, on the fly, reallocate that money, uh, 
and and the the assets, you know, the UC Soros with with Eskarov coming up, they turn UC Soros into a defenseman, and Barry Trotz gets back that Nashville Predators defenseman factory feel to it that it had for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I'm that's my curiosity, just speculating as a. I'm I'm curious if they actually do lean into the rebuild or if they went and cleared a bunch of money because it's going to make it easier for them to take on bigger money elsewhere from guys that they think could help them win. I mean, since the trade deadline in trading Nino Niederreiter, Tanner Janot, Matthias Ekholm, Michael Granlund, and Ryan Johansson, not mm-hmm. only have they acquired a bunch of draft capital, but also they cleared $19 million, as you mentioned, in those players' loan in terms of commitments for this year. I've got them at about $22 million in cap space right now with... Alexander Carrier and uh, and Cody Glass as RFAs, yeah, that's that 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 would be an interesting idea. I kind of thought more so they might be because they've kind of been listed on Alex Brinkett's list of preferred destinations. Whether they would all of a sudden use some of that cap space to facilitate a side and trade or or trading for him and then extending them, potentially mm-hmm. even dipping into the center market on, in free agency. Whether it's like Orion O'Reilly or something, I don't know. Like it, they 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 could pretty much use help anywhere, right? Because the last time we saw them and part of this was guys like Yossi and Forsberg were out, but they made that late season push on the back of UC Soros with this like ragtag group of AHLers and young players that John Hines had previously refused to use. And now they're mm-hmm. presumably healthier. And we should mention going from John Hines to Andrew Brunette and what we know about him is his tendencies as a coach. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to kind of really hand over the keys to him and try to turn this into a more of a fast pace run and gun type of team. And so any of these players essentially would would help facilitate that. Yeah, I mean, sticking with Duchesne and and you know, I don't know when he became Tommy, but going into you know Novak, Philip Tomasino, um, obviously Roman Yossi, you're Tyson Berry's on that back end too. Like you're talking about you're talking about some the potential to be higher octane here and to play at a pace that we're not accustomed to the Preds playing at. So. Um, I I do wonder, you know, to Brincat would make sense there. I wondered about PLD before it looked like this LA thing was coming mm-hmm. uh, into focus. Um, I'm I'm going to continue to wonder about Mark Shifley. Like, that's I, if you're clearing out that much cap space, the next question is, what are you doing with it? Yeah, right. Because if, if, you're, the if you're rebuilding, nothing, it's not it's not of that much value. Obviously, having flexibility is fine, and you're saving yeah. saving actual dollars. You're owing these players, but. Generally, when we see teams clearing out cap space, it's with the intention of turning around and using it for something, right? Rather than just kind of keeping it free. So, absolutely. And with a guy like Ryan Johansson, if they would have just kept him, and if they were already willing to to eat this money, if they would have just kept him, even until the deadline a year, you know, two years from now, in the when his deal was expiring, they eat half of that. They're guaranteed to get more than they just got from him. Oh yeah. So, you know, it's it, what is the plan? What's the next thing here? Um, because if they if they really do lean into a rebuild, color me really surprised. Because mm-hmm. I think that with with Forsberg uh and Yossi signed long term, Duchesne for three more years at eight million, I I guess I, I think they owe it to those guys to give it a whirl. Two two franchise icons too, uh in Yossi and Forsberg. I uh, I think they're going to try and fancy themselves the next LA Kings who did this around Kopitar and Dowdy. And I think they're going to try and do the same thing. Hmm. I like it. All right. Is there anything else on, on this trade or maybe the abs perspective 
that you think we should touch on while we're here before we sign out? Or do you think we kind of covered most of the, uh, most of the important stuff? I feel good about it. Feel great about it. All right, AJ, I'll let you plug some stuff, let the listeners know what you've got in the works, what the content plan is moving forward, where they can check you out, all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, per usual, I'm over at DNVR Avalanche, um, DNVR Sports. We've got a podcast written content, a bunch of video stuff. Um, we have content that goes across all the different socials. We, we do a little bit of everything for a little bit of everyone. So uh, if anybody has any interest in anything Avalanche related, you know where to find us. And we'll have all angles of pretty much everything covered. All right, buddy. Well, this is a blast. It's always uh, it's always fun to catch up with you and have something fun to talk about, especially from a trade perspective. Uh, we'll be back with plenty more on the PDO cast feed this week as we uh, keep the offseason content moving. So thank you for listening to us and we'll be back soon. Till then.